welcome to One Inch from a Scary Podcast. This is Christy Sayer. Um, it is February 25th, 2022. Um, how are you, darlings? For once, I am not making um, apologies and excuses for an extended hiatus. Um, I think it's been barely a week since last we spoke, but what a week it has been. Um, about a day and a half just for posterity, because I'm sure everybody listening in real time knows that um, about a day and a half ago, Russia invaded Ukraine. And of course, the world is very, very shaken and unsettled and sad. Um, And, you know, this is this podcast is not going to be about that. But um, I did want to discuss sort of some things that I feel that I, some themes that I see coming up that I think are helpful to talk about. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is that everybody's having a slightly different personal reaction to this. Um, you know, war, wars and atrocities and terrible injustices are happening all the time, all over the world. And um, unfortunately, because some of them, many of them, most of them don't impact um, or have the potential to impact um, the types of people who fund um, the media, um, they go largely unnoticed and unrecorded. And that's sad because, you know, evil thrives in darkness. Um, But for better or for worse, um, this one we're all highly aware of because it does have the potential to affect all of us. Um, And I think for better because, you know, like I say, evil thrives in darkness and um, it's good that we are all aware, but at the same time, it's very, very, very difficult always. Um, And human beings were not designed to be experiencing um, wars in other locations in real time, watching them happen. Um, having that vicarious trauma. And um, obviously, you know, like I say, it's good that we know what's going on so that we can send help, we can send aid, that we can, you know, sound alarms and, and be, you know, and put pressure. But at the same time, it's very, very, very difficult on the nervous system. And it really drains our resources for what's happening or what may happen for us in our location at any time when you're experiencing the trauma of everybody in the world um it saps your capacity to cope with what's happening in your world and that's something to be really cognizant about um so there's a few themes that i've seen coming up just sort of like um in talking to friends and seeing you know people's reactions on social media And the first one is grief guilt. I have noticed several people saying, I feel so sad and I feel so heavy and I feel, you know, unworthy of that sadness and that heaviness. I feel like I'm sitting here in all of this privilege and I am not doing anything to help. And these people are really experiencing it. I don't have the right to feel sad. And I feel, you know, I'm not, you know, worthy of it. And I think that's not helpful. (laughs) That is in no way helpful. And this is why. Um, 
first of all, well, there's lots of reasons why. First of all, you're allowed to have your feelings. Whatever feeling comes up for you is valid. Judging yourself for the feelings that you're having is supremely unhelpful. It's just gets you stuck in them. You can't process feelings properly that you judge as either good or bad. They just are, you know, they happen. Whatever feelings come up, comes up. And the more we just allow them to be, the quicker we can process them and then let them pass. Um, so that in and of itself, you know, judging the fact that you feel very sad or very scared or personally just paralyzed or unable to do things even though you're in your safe home in the midwest with literally no you know clear and present danger you're safe you're cozy you're well fed everything's fine um that you know it doesn't matter your your feelings don't care um so that in and of itself is just you know it's just unhelpful it's it's good to just allow whatever comes up to come up and let it be and let it then pass. Um, like I said in our last episode, we don't have to attach our identity to our feelings, our personality to our feelings, who we are, our circumstances to our feelings. They're just a feeling. Um, and then I think it's just really sad that people will judge themselves for what is essentially compassion. Um, we don't have too much compassion in the world. Um, we have a shortage of it, in fact, a terrible shortage of it. So if you're someone who's feeling, you know, a highly sensitive person who's feeling or an empathic person or, you know, whatever, a person who's feeling personally affected and very heavy and you're like, well, this isn't right. You know, I shouldn't be feeling so deeply affected. And maybe you're even being shamed by people who don't feel the same way or who aren't deep feelers or who are genuinely just afraid to feel. And they are like, you know, you don't have the right to feel that way. I mean, I've, I've had people like that in my life and that's not healthy. Those are not healthy people. And it's about them, not you. But recognizing that feeling deeply saddened by something that's not directly affecting you is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, like I said in last week's episode, the ability to imagine someone else's pain and the courage to do that and to sit in that discomfort allows us to have true compassion. And compassion is something that the world is lacking in. So if you are feeling very, very sad and you feel like somehow you don't have the right to do, to feel sad, please don't put that upon you. That's no way helpful. Acknowledge that you are um, allowing yourself to imagine and allowing yourself to sit in the discomfort of, the, of imagining other people's pain. And that means that you're compassionate and that is a good thing. Now, also recognize that, you know, that does take up bandwidth, that takes up resources, and we need to protect our own resources because very real crises will happen in our lives just on a personal level. I mean, that's kind of the nature of life. None of us are insulated from it, and we need to protect our energy and protect our um 
yeah, just our energy and our emotional um, capacity for when things that do affect us directly come up. So it is good to have, allow yourself to have those feelings. And the more you are comfortable with allowing those feelings to be what they are, the quicker they will pass and you will not attach anything, either good or bad to them. And that will essentially free up bandwidth. So um, recognize also, be, you know, try to stay, you know, keep the perspective that there is only so much you can do. And so on the other side of the coin of grief guilt, there are people who feel guilt for being carefree or happy or having pockets of joy or carefree sort of like moments in the day or you know just being delighted by silly things and things that seem uh trivial and there's no reason to feel guilty about that because who is it serving for you to deny yourself these light-hearted moments this joy this relief from what is so heavy genuinely nobody and least of all you um so again hearkening back to last week's episode which if you haven't listened to maybe you should um enjoy whatever joy whatever trivial thing comes up whatever pockets of carefree delight that you can find um that fortifies you that fills your well that allows you to be more for yourself and for everybody else and when something really heavy happens in your world you honestly can pull from the resources of joy so anytime something comes up that allows you to just feel light and happy embrace it don't feel guilt don't push it away um you know this applies to this global situation and you know my my dear friend who's mourning the loss of her son um i will sometimes feel like you know pangs of how how can i feel happy right now how can i feel carefree how you know when my friend is suffering so much but i should hope that even she will have moments where she feels carefree and happy even in this darkest darkest time that she will have brief glimpses of lightness because those fill you and those protect you and fortify you and insulate you. They really are good for resilience and they make you a more helpful person to others in their suffering. So we don't serve people by denying ourselves this joy and this release and relief and light things and trivial things and silly things. Um, those all have a very real place and they build resilience for us. So embrace them. Um, just don't guilt yourself for your feelings. Let it be. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was putting into practice um, with my child what I talked about last week, which was, you know, the concept of being the sky. You are the sky. Um, with a little bit of a um, twist on that. So my kid, um, Ella, has been out of school for two years. Um, she has, you know, she's very sensitive. She has uh, uh, 
you know, she's acutely, lots of sensory issues, um, like her mom. And so I do relate to them. And thankfully, she's able to sort of articulate that. Them, and this is why it's really good to get your own junk sorted out and to understand yourself as best you can to put every resource you can into understanding your own issues as a parent because that will directly allow you to recognize and help your kids in turn whatever you sort out for yourself you you are helping to spare your kid or help your kid with so that's just a little um you know my weekly plug for therapy and making your own recovery a huge priority um that's not selfishness that is for the sake of everybody else anyway she is um a highly sensor sensory you know sensitive person and um you know now that i have an adhd diagnosis and i understand it and and all that stuff i you know and more tuned in to what's going on with her. And so she's been at home for two years. We have a, we actually have sort of a really quiet home. Um, obviously with major exceptions when we all get together, but for the most part, it's just like quiet, you know, and just quiet. And so she's been alone for two years, really quiet all by herself. And then she's been, now she's back in school. And that's a lot. It's a lot of noise for anyone. So even if you didn't have sensory issues, that adjustment is big. And fortunately for her, ever since she started school, there's been like all sorts of things like massive delays, snow days, what have you, so that she has not had to go for a full week yet. And um, that's been like a huge blessing because it's really been a sort of an easy, much easier transition, but she had reached capacity. She just was reaching sensory capacity and I can completely relate to that. And I was really glad that, you know, maybe a month or two ago, I, I sort of came out of my COVID cave and had many, like had several meetings on one day. And I remember driving home and for like a full 12 hours afterwards, just feeling literally like my whole body and nervous system was shaking and vibrating it was so it, it honestly i just felt like i was like shimmering but not in a good way and like i wanted to puke almost it was so much it was like sensory nervous system overload and i was like whoa i need to remember how this feels because when ella goes back to school this is going to be so intense and i i need to really really dial into that and remember to be very compassionate and cognizant of that and you know accommodate her and I was really glad because that sort of came to mind and she just had a day where she was just like I, I cannot she has been such a trooper she's been so brave she's been so um so much more chill than I anticipated about all the many many myriad of adjustments but she was just having a hard time and I was lying in bed with her talking about this and she was you know sad and upset and and I said to her, you know, you really are very tired. And I sort of always quote the line from Desiderata, which is many, many fears, I believe. It's, it's this, I might be slightly altering it. But many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. 
And so I said, so, you know, when we're very tired, which you are, everything feels very much scarier and more overwhelming. So, you know, let's just try to sleep, you know, I'll lie with you and sleep and see how you feel in the morning. And she said, but mommy, what if I feel sad and scared in the morning? And I just sort of, it was one of those, like your whole life flashes before you moments where I thought of all the times that I have tried to, you know, lift my children, lift people I care about, lift myself by going, no, you'll be fine. It'll be okay. It'll be great. And just, I realized, you know, that was more for me than for them. And I just sort of had this like sad resolved feeling I just took this deep breath and it felt like this it really felt like I had to deep dig deep for courage when I said to her you know what sweetie you're gonna feel sad a lot in life life is gonna be hard and there's gonna be a lot of times where you do just wake up feeling sad and scared and what you need to remember is that you're strong and you are the sky and those feelings are like the clouds they're like the weather they're like the snowstorms and they will pass but you're the sky you can manage it um and it was just like the simultaneously comforting and sad moment where i was just like i gotta be real and it was almost basically you know me also telling my inner child this you know like I cannot protect my beloved child from sadness. That is just not how it's going to be. Um, but she needs to know that she's strong and she's loved and she's supported. And I was holding this tense little body, you know, I was like spooning with her. And when I said to her, it is going to be hard and you might very well wake up feeling sad and scared tomorrow. And maybe even worse than you feel now. Um, but you are strong and it will pass. No feeling is forever. I felt her whole body just relax. And I realized in that moment that validation is so much more comforting than false assurances. And even the youngest kid can recognize on a primal cellular level when they are being fed a load of bullshit, when they are getting a false assurance, when they are not being heard and their feelings are not being validated. And validation, again, I'm just going to say this again, validation is infinitely more comforting on every level than false assurances. And her whole body just kind of like relaxed because she felt heard. She realized that her mom knew what she knew and that she would still have her back. That even if she did feel bad, I would still be there for her. And I recognized what she was going through and she would still be supported. And I trusted her. I trusted her and I had faith in her and in myself to be able to weather that. And then so quickly I forgot 
temporarily. The next morning she woke up, she got dressed, she had her breakfast. She was really like trying so hard. And then as we you know, got closer to the time going, her eyes welled up and she just looked so panicky and sad and started crying. And I was like, honey, listen, I'll come and get you for lunch. You know, I always go get her for lunch. And so it's just, it's easy. It's just a few hours and it's lunch. And then it's a few hours after that, it's easy. And she just started sobbing. And I was like, oh, honey, it's, it's okay. okay. And she said to me, mommy, I get so sad when you tell me it's, it's going to be easy when it's hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've done it again. Just immediately after learning this incredible lesson, I did it again. And I was like, sweetie, I'm so sorry. That is just a bad habit that I have. And I am sorry. Yes, you're right. Even one hour of feeling bad is hard. Even 15 minutes of feeling bad is hard. And I'm really, really sorry. And I was just so grateful that she had the words and she had the like courage and, and that we've created a safe enough space in our relationship. And that has not been true for all of my other kids, you know, so I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just as I've evolved in understanding that she can say, it makes me sad when you gaslight me, essentially, when you don't validate my feelings. And I, I guess it was good intention. There was no gaslighting. I, you know, did sort of divorce myself from the reality of what it's like to be a little girl in a, what feels like a unsafe, overwhelming situation, even for a few minutes, maybe from self-preservation. But, um, yeah, I was really grateful for her for like, you know, firmly reinforcing that lesson. And it's something that I'm going to have to keep reminding myself. But if you want to help your kids, please just validate what they're going through because they know and false assurances are not comforting. They just aren't. And we do it because we love people, but mostly we do it because we're trying to comfort ourselves and we're afraid. Um, and I just remember um, going to therapy, you know, toward the beginning where just everything was terrifying still terrifying I just you know I was in the throes of huge complex PTSD and the world my future everything was terrifying I was just terrified to be alive I was terrified of bad things happening to my kids because I knew I had no coping skills I had no coping skills and so I was terrified and so I was trying to control every outcome and of course it was just leading to you know my destruction it was exhausting and just my nervous system was completely fried. I was night and day in torment. Just there was no release from it. My my dreams, my my nights were just constant frantic nightmares. My days were the same. And I remember saying to my therapist, I have five children. I have five children and the odds of something bad happening to one of them and by extension than me are so high and I just can't cope. I'm terrified. Like something bad is going to happen to one of my kids in some way, somehow they're going to be unhappy in some way that is inevitable. And I'm so accustomed to begging people for assurances that that's what I'm expecting from her. I'm expecting her to go, 
well, look, you know, statistically, nothing truly bad's going to happen. And she just looked at me and she nodded, you know, sadly. And like, yeah, you're so right. And I just remember being shook. Like, lady, are you not supposed to be like reassuring me? <laughs> no, uh, she was not. She was supposed to be teaching me about the fact that bad things will happen and I am going to build resilience for them and I will be up to taking, you know, surviving them even if I you know don't hit it out of the park I will survive and that was the first time that somebody you know that in a really intimate situation that I can remember somebody just being like yep yep and that really sort of just shifted everything because when she sort of confirmed that I was like well shit it really got me committed to making myself stronger. And I think, and, and that's when I really, I think I really started to trust her. And I really do trust people who um, will say to me, I see you, I see your suffering, I see your fears. And I can't tell you they won't come to fruition, but I can tell you that I trust that you're up to it, that you are up to whatever comes your way. And I can also tell you that I got your back. That is the most comforting thing you can do for people. Um, and if you can't do it, for, and you really can't do it for others until you can do it for yourself. Um, my awesome friend, Joe, um, he was one of my first podcast episodes. Go and listen to it because that guy is just freaking phenomenal. He is once again dealing with a massive, massive um, setback in his battle um, with cancer. Um, and it's just so damn unfair and infuriating and upsetting and sad. Um, what he's had to go through, you know, it's like, he's the best guy. He's the bravest guy. He's the badass. He doesn't complain. He gets, you know, I mean, like, I'm sure he does complain, but he doesn't, you know, wallow. And he does so much good in the world. And it's like, damn it. Here he is again, dealing with something he shouldn't have to deal with. Like nobody should have to deal with cancer, but it's just, it's so freaking unfair. And, um, He's got a massive, like, a in very intense battle right now. Um, you know, things have taken a turn. And he eventually, you know, he had sh shared with me, at asked how he was doing, and he had shared with me some of the details. And I was like, dude, you know, like, if anybody can do this, you can do this. I know how serious this is, but, you know, sort of that same thing. And he's so gracious and so kind, but I noticed he didn't, like, directly respond to me saying that you know um and then I realized you know I'm just trying to comfort myself there like this is not validating um and he graciously when he made the news public of what he's dealing with he graciously and generously said to people listen I'm gonna ask you not to say you got this and you're gonna beat this because that does not that invalidates what I'm experiencing right now. And it's not what I need to hear. And I just think that's so kind, you know, when people set a boundary and tell people like, 
listen, I know you're all going to be meaning well, and but it's not what I need to hear. I think that's courageous and it's kind. And I think we can all learn a lot from him in terms of saying, I, you know, I don't want to be like ungracious in any way. Um, but your false assurances are not comforting and they're also invalidating and they make me feel lonely and isolated. I mean, he didn't say it in so many words, but I think that's what false assurances do. Like you're telling me that you really don't get it. And that is not comforting. That's isolating and being isolating, isolated is scary. So, um, you know, that's just another example just this week of people saying, I need you to be real i need you to meet me where i am and to not say you'll be fine or count your blessings or you got this or it'll be easy or it's not so bad that's that's not comforting um so let's be better let's be better about that for ourselves and also for others um this is a time when we all need to be brushing up on what it means to be real and be comforting first to ourselves and then to others. And um, it's about validation and it's about being willing to sit in on discomfort with other people and being willing to experience our uncomfortable emotions um, as well and not gaslight other people or ourselves. Um, what else did I want to talk about? I made a couple of notes. Okay. Um, again, circling back <laughs> to what I started with, you know, scary times, scary times on a global level, scary times for so many people personally. Um, you know, on the day to day, like poor little Ella, um, you know, in terms of major stuff like Joe, in terms of dealing with grief forever. Um, like my dear friend, Michelle, like I am seeing it on every single, you know, I feel like I'm experiencing that on a, on every level right now. I'm witnessing that. And so I want to talk about future fear a little bit. And I think it's important, you know, when we, you know, start to sort of like theorize and awfulize and catastrophize what might happen based on what has happened in the past that we recognize that it's good to be realistic and those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it for sure so we need to be aware and we need to be conscious and we need to watch for signs um and like i say not be pollyannaish and not be you know and validate very real fears that people have based on history um, but at the same time, I think it's really important that we keep in mind that what we don't know the future, we only know what we know today. Um, so if you're starting to spiral and panic, it is so important to bring yourself back into the present. What is it that I know? What is it I'm feeling? Fear, terror, depression, heaviness, uncertainty. Sure. What is it that I do know? I know that I'm sitting on this bed. I know that, um, you know, my hand is opening and closing. I'm counting my fingers. There's five of them. I know that I can breathe in 
and breathe out. And I can do that 10 times in a row. I know that I can smell dinner downstairs being cooked. I know that I can see the snow softly falling out of my window. I know that I can touch the soft blanket that's right in front of me. I can hear the sound of my voice. I can hear a fan droning in the background. These are things that I know. These are things that I know because they're happening right now. And this is a very important centering process. And it really helps to remind us that what's in the future is an unknown. And dwelling there can be untenable. And so pulling yourself back into what you do know in the present is imperative. And that's what, you know, breath work does. That is what um, meditation does. Journaling does that. Um, you know, just journaling five things that I know right now, five things that are happening in this moment can help if you have a hard time sort of getting out of your head without doing something, putting it on paper is really helpful. Talking to someone else about it is really helpful. Um, standing up and shaking your body out the same way animals do after they get startled. If you'll see a deer being really frightened and, you know, terrified, you know, deer in the headlights, and then they sort of literally just shake it off. Doing that same thing can regulate your nervous system. Um, a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of cold therapy. It absolutely works. If you're feeling panic-stricken and you can't get out of your head or you're just feeling just really frozen, a really good a good way to get out of it is to be physically frozen. Um, take an ice-cold shower or put your face in a bowl of ice water, walk outside barefoot in the snow, um, or on the grass, if you don't live in a cold climate, you know, walking outside barefoot is definitely grounding. Um, and then breathing deeply. Um, my son Benjamin um, says, you know, and he's a scientist and um, a biologist, studies birds, and he says, observing our dog Shaka, he goes, you know, Shaka is probably the most relaxed organism I've ever witnessed. And I do think it's the breathing. And I, you know, I really sort of, after he said that, I started to notice Shaka's breathing. And Shaka frequently, you know, like he gets up, he gets all mad, he barks at, you know, these terrible threats <laughs> of another dog walking by. And then he literally shakes it off and he comes and lies down and he does this huge sigh. And then he is fully, 100% relaxed, just straight to sleep. And I've noticed every time he does that when he's near me, he does that a lot. And you know who else does that who's really chill is my husband, Aaron. He will often, we've always noticed that he does these huge sighs. And Aaron doesn't know yoga or do yoga, but he's always doing breath work he's always doing pranayama breathing whether or not he knows it like whenever the kids are imitating Aaron it's always with this deep sigh at the beginning and end of whatever he does says and I just I'll often be like what and he'll be like what after he does his sighs I'm like what's wrong and he's like nothing and he just instinctively does these d huge deep sighs throughout the day and he is an incredibly chill person <laughs> He has 
immense bandwidth to deal with all sorts of crises. He juggles a hundred balls all day long and is not a stressed human. So breathing is so good. Um, you know, just taking deep breaths, matching your breath with an animal. If you happen to have a pet, it's great. Sit next to a dog, a really relaxed dog or cat, and just match your breathing with their sleeping breathing. Or pretend to be breathing. Um, like Pretend to be sleeping. So if you ever want to fake someone out that you are sleeping, here's a tip. Um, you breathe in for four counts, and then you breathe out for eight. If you don't have that kind of lung capacity, then do half half. Breathe in for, you know, two, breathe out for four, three or six, whatever. But once you've emptied your lungs like that, you'll take a big, deep breath again. And that slow breathing imitates sleeping. And your body will get the message. Your nervous system will get the message. And it really is very relaxing. So, you know, fake out your nervous system whenever you can. Shake it off like animals do. Do a little dance. Literally yawn. Do big, wide yawns. Release your jaw. As a doula, um, a birth doula, I would always keep track of a woman's jaw, her facial muscles, her fists, and her thighs. And if I could get her to relax her face, particularly her jaw, by vocalizing or yawning, um, relax her hands and relax her thigh muscles or her legs, just kind of, um, she would progress better and she would feel a great deal less pain because there's this, the fear, tension, pain cycle in childbirth and indeed in everything, right? When we're fearful, we tense up, we feel more pain psychologically and physically. And so if you can relax those sort of touch points, it really helps. So yawning, deep breathing, sleep breathing, imitating animals, doing a, even if you feel really, really heavy, putting on a really carefree song and dancing around the living room as if you don't, fake out your nervous system. Cold therapy, excellent. Walking outside barefoot, excellent. Um, fake laughing, singing, um, all of these oh, humming or um, making a nasal sound like humming in through your nose like high up like mm, um, or vocalizing loud singing in your car all of these tone the vagal nerve and allow you to relax you know write a list of them if you need to and just see what works for you and different things will work at different times um, fake smiling at yourself in the mirror, high-fiving yourself in the mirror um, will make you feel more confident. Just fake smiling honestly does trick you into feeling that little bit better. It, it, you know, your body is a bunch of hormones and um, it can be faked out. You know, biohacks are real. Um, again, fear and excitement they involve the identical hormones. So if you're feeling very, very, very frightened or nervous about something, tell it, you know, imagine that you're in fact excited. It doesn't always work. It's not always a feasible thing, but remember that 
you know, remember that interpretation is everything. And we do have the ability to do a lot with these um, nervous system hacks. Also realize that, you know, a lot of things that we have been very, very fearful of um, because we just didn't know how they would pan out, didn't ever come to fruition. Keep that in mind. Now, of course, terrible things are indeed happening right now to people and we care about them deeply. And, you know, when, when people suffer, when we know people are suffering, we suffer too and, and, and those things. But a lot of people are really, really concerned about a, a world war at this point. And, you know, like I say, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And it's important to be realistic and all those things. But also re remember all the things that we've been terrified of that did not happen. You know, Y2K and also, you know, nuclear, war nuclear wars. Um, that we were all very, very sure, you know, um, would happen. There are plenty of things that we have been very, very terrified that didn't happen. So keep that in mind when you're trying to keep this balance. Um, and then to that, you know, in terms of that, going back to what I was saying about validating what is real. Um, and then plenty of bad things have happened, but they passed and better days did come. Better days did come and we are resilient and we are strong and we can do one moment at a time and we can feel a great sense of compassion and concern and sadness for others and do what we can do um, and allow ourselves the space to feel those feelings and we can also fortify ourselves with joy and lightness and hope. We don't know what we don't know and it's as reasonable to have hope for a positive outcome as it is to be afraid of a negative one. It is just as reasonable. And it can help us, certainly can help us to, you know, be more resilient um, when we're not practicing grief beforehand, when we're not experiencing things before we have to experience them. You cannot practice for grief. You cannot build resilience by experiencing things before they actually happen. The opposite is true. You will drain your resources. Um, Hypervigilant people feel like it is insurance to be worried. They can keep bad things from happening if they're scared and they're worried. That is not true. You will just drain your personal resources. You will become less resilient. That is true. Um, you just can't rehearse. You cannot prime yourself um, for terrible things <laughs> and being hypervigilant and experiencing them before you have to experience them is a waste of your life. It, it really is. And it's easier said than done. If the things that I'm saying resonate with you, it, it sounds like you have trauma and that there's help for people who exist in a state of hypervigilance. Um, there is help and healing for PTSD. So look into that, look into getting help for that if that's sort of how you exist. Because that is not a fun place to be and it's not a fun way to be and it's still something that I deal with daily. Um, but the more able I am to recognize um, the fact that, you know, practice, rehearsing for tragedy 
saps my energy rather than fortifies me for those things, um, the happier I am and indeed the more resilient I am when, when bad things do happen. I hope that this, these things or these suggestions have been in some way helpful to you. Um, I'm sending so much love to you wherever you are. So many prayers for people um, who are experiencing these atrocities, um, both in Ukraine, the people of Russia who don't want to be a part of this, um, the people all over Europe who are terrified, and honestly, everybody all over the world who is experiencing things on a, you know, on a global level or on a personal level. Um, my love, my prayers, all the positive energy that I have um, is coming your way. Um, hang in there um, and let's just all pray for peace and for better days and just unite in hope because hope is a powerful thing. Um, much love to you all and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.